new sermon series that we do every year at this time called Gather, Grow, and Go. These are kind of the three great ends of the church. If you grew up uh, in a tradition that was kind of embedded in the Reformed tradition, you know that the great ends of the church are things like how, like preaching the word and administering the sacraments. And these are all things that we believe at Bethany as well. But when we say gather, grow, and go, we mean these are the things by which we know, these are our pathways that assure us we are doing what God has called us to do as a church. We gather for worship. We're trying to grow both in terms of reaching others and in discipleship. And then we are going. We are being sent forth. We are literally heading to the ends of the earth to bless and to serve others. And today we're talking about gathering, and I just want to say at the top, this is a fraught subject right now for many of us. We have had an unprecedented time in the history of the global church, where for churches in countries like ours, the option of online worship was the only option for gathering as a church, especially during the darkest, earliest days of the pandemic. As we've learned more about COVID, as, as life has changed for us, we've been able to regather for worship. So here at Bethany, we've been in person weekly for worship since July, and it has been a great gift. And I just want to recognize that by talking about gathering, it inherently kind of puts the lens on a reality that's just new for the church, new for us especially. What do we do for worship? Do we worship in person? And that's great. Do we worship online? And that's great. Is one better than the other? I just want to say at the top, there are perfectly legitimate reasons for people to continue to worship online. I have learned that in my conversations as a pastor. I've heard that from our community. We have surveyed people and asked that. So we continue to offer an online option because we know there are people for whom coming into the space right now is just not an option. Maybe they've moved and they haven't found a new church, or there's a medical situation. I know a family that was waiting on a medical procedure, a surgical procedure for someone, and if they had any of them in their family tested positive for COVID, that medical procedure would have been postponed. So it made sense for them for a time to just join us online, for that to be their primary venue of worship. And I just want to recognize there are good and legitimate reasons for that. But as a pastor, I need to say too, this gathered, embodied, in-person worship is how we are meant to gather. Online worship is great, and all of you folks joining us online, like, you're still on my Christmas card list. I still love you. Like, this is not, like, creating division. I am saying, and I believe the text is saying, that gathering for worship as embodied creatures, people who are not just eyes and brains, but who have sense and taste and touch and smell, that this experience of being present with other people, of being in a space, oh my gosh, that was designed for the worship of Almighty God, for prayer, for music, for fellowship, to use this space as it was intended. That is a critical calling of the church. So when you join us online for worship, don't feel bad. Don't say, oh, Travis is mad at me. If people base their actions on me being mad at them, we'd live in a terrible world. But I do believe, and I believe the text will reveal this to us today, it's important to be here. This is primary seeing one another, experiencing each other's presence, having those casual encounters where you go, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so in forever. I wonder how they're doing. Those things can happen online, but it's different. And I don't believe it should be the primary form of worship for any of us. For a season, it's great, but not forever. And that's because of who we are and how God has wired us. And this is our purpose when we gather. This is our thesis statement for today. We need to see and experience 
what God is doing in His Son, Jesus. We need to see and experience what God is doing in His Son, Jesus. Where do we see that in the text? We're going to talk about that in three different headings. The first heading is the context. The second one is a crowd. And the third one are the purposes of God. Context, crowd, and the purposes of God. So first, what is our context? Where is this story taking place? It is taking place, that's our scripture reading, in this region of the world. Now, I know this is a little bit more detailed. It's kind of hard to see. I see all of you squinting. That is not your eyes. It is just me figuring out what kind of a slide we need. This is a map of the ancient Near East, and there's kind of a, uh, a navigation over here on the right with different numbers of significant events. So I'll give you a minute to look at it, okay? Mediterranean Sea, Israel, Palestine, Dead Sea, down here would be the Red Sea. And what I want to draw your attention to is a blue number five. Do you see the blue number five? Raise your hand if you see the blue number five. Okay, if you're kind of fumbling for it, it's right there. What's significant about number five? This is where most scholars believe the baptism of Jesus took place. There's two things I want to highlight about this. First, it is remote, okay? Five is kind of off on its own over here in the Judean wilderness. So it is farther away than, say, like this little southern cluster here of different events from Jesus' life. Five is kind of its own thing. Jesus' baptism is kind of its own thing. It's also close. So it's far away and it's close. It's far away in that he's backing up to the wilderness. You see the river right there. There's no other towns around him. But it's close enough that the people who lived in Jericho and Bethany and Jerusalem even, they could travel up to the river to get water, to get what they needed to survive in an arid climate. We don't think a lot about how important it is to live near water here because we live near water. But if you've ever lived in a desert or in an arid climate, you know the population centers moves toward water. Everybody needs water. And every person that comes up in this story is seeking the water. So this location is significant because it's remote and it's because it's close to a population center. So let's talk about who is coming there. Now we're talking about the crowd of people. What crowd are we talking about? In Luke's gospel, there's this line that I had never noticed before. As I was studying the text, I thought, you know, I would get into this study of Jesus' baptism. I've preached on this before. I've read it before. And I love it when the scriptures do this. It surprised me when I read Luke's account of this passage. Because in Luke's account, it says this. There were crowds of people being baptized. Crowds of people. Sometimes I picture Jesus' baptism. It's just him and John and a couple of the disciples, and they're there in the river. It's kind of private and secluded, but no. I had to change the way that I was thinking about this, and I encourage you to do so as well. Let us try to consider what was it like to be in that crowd in this moment. Now, for me to do that, I need to picture what it looks like. So I looked up online, what does Jesus' baptism site look like today? I will just say this, it kind of looks like Disneyland. <laughs> like, there's like a ticket booth, and there's stairs that go down to this sort of like not great looking little pool, and I thought, you know, I'm not sure it looked like that in Jesus' time. Like, maybe it looked a little simpler. So I found this as an image that helped me. 
Now, this is not the Jordan River. This is analogous to it. This is the Gunnison River in Grand Junction, Colorado. How many of you have been to Grand Junction, Colorado? I lived there for four years with my family. It is a wonderful place. Put it on your bucket list as a place to go to and check out. It is the high desert of western Colorado. It's called Grand Junction because it's the convergence of the Gunnison and Colorado rivers. It's where they come together. And it's kind of like that number five in the blue circle. It is both remote in that it's the largest city on the western slope. Farmers and ranchers and people that live in the outlying rural communities, they come to Grand Junction to do their shopping, to go to Sam's Club. You would literally see flatbeds pulled behind big old pickup trucks and people would load up all their stuff and carry it off to their homes and that was their shopping for the month. Imagine that, once a month shopping. It's a rural and an urban community. It's the urban core, it's the county seat, it's the medical center for western Colorado and southern Utah, and it's rural. Some of the most wonderful produce you could ever taste comes from western Colorado. Olathe's sweet corn, palisade peaches, rhubarb, cherries. It's an amazing agricultural community. So it's both. It's both remote and it's close into an urban center. It is a place where there are no people and it is a place where there are lots of people. And in an arid climate, anything that's near the river turns what color? Green. It's a beautiful and lush valley with these two rivers crisscrossing it. There ends my advertisement for all of us to visit Grand Junction. So, there are crowds of people. Let's go back to the crowds. And they show up at a riverbank like this. And what are they doing? Just picture the scene with me. Picture families, you know, kind of trotting in. They leave their, their donkey, they leave behind whatever animal they brought, and they go down and they're carrying jars, and they're going to fill up their jars with water, and they're going to go back home. It's early in the morning. It's before it's gotten really hot in the day. And I don't mean Seattle hot like 80. I mean like really hot, like 120. There's, if you take a deep breath, there's no moisture in the air except for the moisture that comes from the river. It's, it's dry, it fills up your lungs with this clean, clear, but very dry air. You hear people kind of talking quietly to their families, or as is the case here, you hear kids kind of running around doing stuff. Everybody's around the river. Rich people and poor people, people of influence, people from rural communities, farmers and ranchers and doctors and lawyers, they are all coming to the river because everybody needs water. And you know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a church. That sounds like a congregation. That sounds like people from different backgrounds, different walks of life. What could possibly unite them together? It is seeking life. Seeking, in this case, water, as they're about to find out in a moment. It is the living water, Jesus, that encounters them, that meets them. And this is why when we gather for worship, whether we do it online or in person, What we seek is Jesus. What we encounter is Jesus. Now, all people need to see and to hear Jesus and to be in his presence. But I want to talk about the three purposes that are unique to this situation for this gathering of people, this crowd of people. There are people who have been baptized, who have been following John for a little while, and there are people who just showed up to get water, and they see this. Let us always be a church that thinks not just in terms of those who are baptized and already a part of the faith, but to the people who are just showing up to check it out and wondering about who this Jesus is. 
This crowd experiences three different purposes. This is the purposes of God, the final section today. The first purpose is to see and experience Jesus. Say that with me. See and experience Jesus. One more time. See and experience Jesus. Where do we see that in the text? The crowd is literally gathered around the banks of this river. They're looking down into the waters. And they see Jesus, and they see John, they see a smattering of disciples, and they see a group of people whose clothes are dripping wet standing behind them, and they're going, what in the world is going on over there? It is different to see that, to hear it, to experience it, to listen to the chit-chat of other people. It is different to see and experience that. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And just as an experiment, I would uh, love for each of us to just say, speak out in a moment where you were on 9-11. Think about it for just a moment. Where were you? And then just say it as you're ready to. I was in college. I was in line at the bank in Austin, Texas. Where were you on 9-11? You're in your office. Going to school. Where were you on 9-11? Was anybody in lower Manhattan on 9-11? I mean, if you were, I would want to stop what we're doing and talk to you. There is a difference between what those of us experienced when we saw 9-11 and those of us who were in lower Manhattan on 9-11. Do you see what I mean? It is very different to look at your TV screen and to see something as awful as 9-11. And it just, it, I remember standing there in the bank and I saw it on the TV screen. I just like, it, it floored me. I just wanted to sit down on the ground and just kind of weep. But that's very, very different than the people who were running through the streets in Manhattan, who were watching buildings crumble around them where the, the smoke and the sky and everything was blotted out. It was apocalyptic for them. There is a difference between seeing and experiencing, friends. And the people who are gathered at the river, they don't just see Jesus. They have this experience of the Holy Spirit, which we'll get into in just a moment. When we come to worship, when we gather, because we are not just visual creatures, because we have ears, because we have bodies, we need this. We need to be in this space. We need to be in the presence of other people. There is a distinct meaning and advantage to being physically present with each other. And part of that is we cannot control how God chooses to enter into our moment here in worship. We can be impacted by the Lord through an online worship experience. We can hear the Word of God. We can experience it. It's great. Again, those of you online, I am so glad that you're here, but there is something different about walking into this space and just saying, Lord, meet with me. There's something different about having to get up in the morning and put on scratchy pants, as my friend likes to call jeans. Come to church. See people. Encounter others. It's different. It's, it's richer. It's a step in a direction toward what we are intended to be. And I really believe this, guys. I think screens come up short. So for those of you who are gathering here, thank you. And for those of you online, thank you. Let us be a gathered and embodied people as we are able as we are convicted to do so. The second thing that the people who are gathered together at this riverbank experience is they hear the word. Say that with me. Hear the word. Uh, my daughter goes to a Catholic preschool and we got to go to Mass together for the first time. I hadn't been to Mass in like 20 years. And it was such an incredible experience because 
shockingly, mass hasn't changed that much in the last time I was in a Catholic church. But if you know church history, mass is so significant because it connects you to this history and tradition and legacy that is so vital and valuable to our friends in the Catholic church. And all of their worship, all of that particular mass is focused on one thing. If you grew up Catholic, you know what I'm talking about. It is focused on the Eucharist, on communion, on the Lord's Supper. Everything is moving toward that moment, pointing toward that moment. There's, there's kind of a drama. There's, a, there's a, a depiction of it that is so powerful. And yet in the Reformed tradition, in the Protestant tradition in which we sit, we're not celebrating communion this week. It's not the center of our worship. The center of our worship is not even preaching. It is not a moment. The center of our worship is the Word. We believe we should hear the Word read. We should hear the Word taught, yes, but we also believe we should pray the Word. That's why we use Scripture to introduce our prayers and our call to worship. That's why we are comforted after we confess, not by my words, but by the words of the Lord. And we know this because John's Gospel reveals this to us. The Word is both the written Word, the Scripture, and it is the living Word, Jesus. We need to hear from the Word when we gather for worship. In today's passage, the Word actually does something that it should do to us all the time. And it corrects us. This is uh, with Jesus' dialogue with John when he first comes on the scene. And I'll read it for us. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. You know what Jesus just did? He convinced John to follow his lead because of the word. Jesus is the living word. He is speaking these words to John. He says, we must carry out all that God requires. What is that? Well, in the mind of a Jewish person, a Jewish scholar, a rabbi like Jesus, that is the Old Testament. That is the law of Moses. That is the vital instructions that the people of Israel knew and celebrated and believed in. So the Word shapes this dialogue between Jesus and John. The Word corrects John. Friends, when I say that we gather to hear the Word, that that almost is too passive. I have a friend who likes to say, when we get into an argument with Scripture, Scripture wins. And I believe that. And I believe when we are here, when you come to worship at Bethany Community Church, you will hear the Scriptures. If you want an editorial about something in the world of politics or whatever, like go get a newspaper. Here, we are going to talk about the Scripture. We're going to talk about it when it comes to politics, when it comes to all these difficult things, as the Word leads us to it. Like the Word led us to have a discussion about online versus in-person worship. I didn't choose that. That is what the Word is doing. And we need to hear and be corrected by the Word, and that includes me. And it's so good to see how John and Jesus model this for us in today's text. So what are our purposes so far? We need to see and experience Jesus. We need to hear the Word, and we need to be saturated by the Gospel. Where do we see this in the text? The very next passages say this. After his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. That's a mind-blowing sentence, like right there. That's incredible. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, who brings me great joy. 
Hear those words with tenderness, friends. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. When our son Will was born, uh, my parents uh, arrived pretty quickly. I would imagine that most of you who are grandparents can agree with that. Like when a baby is born, you want to be there as soon as possible. So Will was born. My mom and dad arrived shortly after. And we're all just kind of sitting around marveling at this new life. And I look over and my dad has Will in his arms. And Will's all wrapped up in his blankie and he's got a hat on. And, you know, he's, he looks like a newborn. And my dad is singing quietly to my son. It was a beautiful moment for me as a dad, as someone who loved my dad, who admired my dad. I thought, wow, like, how cool is that for him to be present with this new little life? And I think about that when I think about this latter part of the passage. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. God is singing that over Jesus in this moment. He is rejoicing because his son is doing what he intended for him to do. His son is the person God chose from before all of creation to redeem and rescue the world. And this moment is saturated with the gospel. Why? Because the Spirit of God is poured out and there is new life and new birth because there is a miracle that heaven and earth have collided, that the dove, the sign of peace, the gospel gives us peace, is present in this moment. And the crowd sees all of it. People see and experience this moment of gospel renewal. And what's incredible is that that identity that is spoken over Jesus is spoken over each and every one of you. I believe this. That when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he looks at you and he says, Tyler, you are a beloved son of God. I find great joy in you. And he looks at you, Deb, and he says, Deb, you are a beloved daughter of God. I find great joy in you. That identity is conferred upon you. It is a gift. And if you have never heard that before, this is the goodness of the gospel. And if you have heard that, and if it's kind of faded from your memory, and you've sort of forgotten who you are, remember, you are a beloved son. And the Father takes great joy in you. And you are a beloved daughter. And the Father takes great joy in you. The same identity that was given to Jesus is given to all who call on his name. And we can do nothing to earn it or deserve it. It is a sheer gift. And maybe that's different from what you learned growing up. Maybe you learned growing up that Christians have to be this way and they have to vote this way and they have to behave this way and Christians never do this. They don't swear, drink, smoke, or dance, right? And then there's the gospel, that you are beloved, that you fill the Lord with joy. You are filling him with joy by being here, church. You are filling him with joy by joining us online, church. Because you are setting apart this portion of your life and saying, this belongs to God. I'm going to be pulled in a million other directions this week, but I need to be reminded of who I am and whose I am and where he wants me to go. This crowd that watched this miracle, they never forgot it. I guarantee you, no one walked away from that experience at the river and went, well, let's go to Costco. 
They had something so profound happen to them that their lives were forever reoriented. Never again would it just be me and mine and all my stuff. No, now it would be that God who brought in his son and blessed him. That God is real. And my life needs to look different as a result of that. So hear this, church. If you need to remember that the gospel is for you, hear it this morning. If you need to remember that the gospel is for your children, and it's for your neighbors, and it's for your colleagues, I know we live in a secular and polarized time, but the gospel is too good for us to just sit on it. So we're going to take time and pray. We're going to ask for the gospel to come alive in each of our lives, and then we're going to take some time for discussion. So please join me as we pray. Jesus, thank you for your good word. I pray that anything that was of me, of my brokenness or my sinfulness, would it be quickly forgotten, and everything that was of you, may it enter that much more deeply into our hearts. Lord, if we've come into this place today and we didn't even know what the gospel was, we thank you and we pray that we would receive this good news, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, and that his life and his rescue is real and we need it, and our friends and neighbors need it. And if we have received the gospel in the past, would you just rekindle in us a fire and a passion to declare this good news in word and in deed and in our actions and in our online speech. May we be a gospel-shaped people in every way. Lord, I pray especially for unity in our church. I know that it can very easily get into divisions and online worship and in-person worship. Lord, the hope of the world is Jesus. And so may we always center ourselves on Jesus, however we choose to worship. And may we take steps forward as a church under that unity that you declare. So we give the rest of our time in worship to you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. For those of you that are new with us this morning, uh, one of the things we learned in our online worship only time was that it was really valuable to have time to talk about the sermon after. So you have two discussion questions in your bulletin to help guide you. Doesn't matter if you get through both of them. This is not a test. This is just a chance to start a conversation. The first one is just checking in. How was your week? How you doing? Something you want to share. And the second one is around this theme of worship. Maybe you can share a moment that you've experienced where you were so blessed to be in a place of worship. Or maybe it was a time when you were really challenged there was a word that you needed to hear. There was a conversation you needed to have, and worship was sort of the context for that. So check in, share a story. You're welcome to move your chairs around. You're welcome to spread out. Please get into groups of no bigger than six, and I'll keep an eye on our time. But let us uh, enter into this time as best we can to love and serve each other, to have good conversations, and to move each other forward in the path of discipleship. So you are free to uh, step into your discussions. Those of you that are online, you're free to go to your breakout rooms. And we will regather in about 10 minutes. Thanks.